The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Life and, and, and is, is your love for the Lord increasing to, hey, let's mess with this guy for about 15 minutes. So uh, just a lot of great friendships here, relationships that I hold dear and so thankful for. And, and your partnership in the gospel with us. Uh, has been uh, just such a, a pillar for our church and anchor for our church. Uh, we could not have done, nor could we continue to do what we're doing apart from your support. Um, and, and praise God, uh, we have 20 members now, uh, which when you move to a new place, you don't know a single soul, and uh, you're, you're, you're seeking to, to meet people for Christ and preach the gospel to them, and we rejoice in that. And the number of guests that are continuing to come and to uh, be a part of community group, be a part of discipleship, uh, God's really doing a great work, and we're so, we're so thankful for you guys. And, and tonight, or tonight, I'm so used to our service at 5 o'clock that I always say tonight. So this morning, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and just look at verse 13. I know you're used to these robust theological, dynamic, <laughs> earth-shattering sermons from Tracy. Uh, but, but really what I just want to do is walk through this verse and, and demonstrate how the Lord has given us the gifts of faith, hope, and love, uh, work that in us and through us in the things that we're doing. And, and, and I hope it's not just to say, here's what God has done. I hope... I hope that we are all edified and encouraged to practice these three things. I hope that I hope that the Lord stirs your hearts as well for that. And if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it says this, So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And I, another translation is, but these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, I um, thank you, God, for your faithfulness to, uh, Lord, to bring us home for a bit and to be surrounded by those who pray for us and love us and come alongside us and come visit us. Uh, Lord, you truly are faithful. Uh, you truly are good. And this truly is your work. And so, Lord, we just praise you for that. Lord, we pray that you would move in this time. God, we pray that you would instill these three things in us, faith, hope, and love. God, that you would give us understanding of what that might mean and how that might look, that we might live for you and uh, serve you well, serve you faithfully. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, when I moved down to New Orleans, when we moved down to New Orleans, I, I, had, uh, I had two false, ignorant assumptions. Number one, that I would move down, we would move down, and I would not gain weight. <laughs> that was the first false assumption. Uh, the second false assumption was this, that we're just going to go down to New Orleans and put some signs out and print out some cards and invite people to our worship gathering and leading up to our opening service, which was August 31st, 2013, we passed out over 2,500 cards, 
put them on doors, passed them out at bus stops. We uh, made some signs and put those signs strategically throughout our community. And I printed out a hundred bulletins for that day. And the only reason I printed out a hundred is because that's the max capacity of the little tiny church that we worship in. But had had the capacity been a thousand, I would have printed out a thousand. And I remember opening the doors and kind of saying in King James language, you know, like, God of heaven and earth, bring the harvest. And expecting crowds to just come. One guy came. And the only reason he came is because he got his girlfriend pregnant and was in a moment of crisis. And then when he heard the call to follow Jesus and he heard the gospel like the disciples in John 6 who said, this is such a such a hard, difficult teaching. Who can stand it? Who can listen to it? I just want to hear that it's going to be okay, and I don't have to marry my girlfriend. Right. He walked away and left. But not to be deterred because we saw a park and we said, you know what, we're going to put movies in the park as a way to to bring people out that we can befriend and engage and connect with. And over the the past two and a half years, we've had over 1,700 people come through these movie nights in the park. And we've gotten their information. We put a box on there. Like, uh, if if you'd rather not be contacted by us, check this box. About 75% check that box. Some even checked it like four times just so we would know. And uh, But we followed up with those people. We called those people. We emailed those people. We went to those people's homes that said yes. And out of 1,700 people that came to those events, only 11 people came to either worship or community group. None of those people have stuck. You kind of, after a while, you start to think, God, what do we have to do to reach people? What do we have to do to grow your church? God, what do we have to do? My neighbor Floyd has his own taxi service. And, and uh, he and I, he was in the slideshow a little bit. He was actually, we were at the basketball game. He was creeping over my shoulder. He only saw half his face. But Floyd uh, lives next door, single guy in his 40s. And Floyd and I had been developing that, that relationship a little bit. And, and I said, Floyd, let's go eat at uh, a restaurant, went to a Lebanese restaurant. And um, uh, there we talked about the gospel. Floyd, do you know the, the story of God's redemption, the story of his love, that though he created us in his image for his glory, that we have, have, have rejected him and worshipped other gods, worshipped lesser things, given our lives to the things of the world and to sin. We had God being rich in mercy and love while we were still sinners. He sent his son so that he might die on the cross for our sins and rise again triumphantly from the grave so that those who put their faith in him will be united to Christ. Be made new, be forgiven, be changed. And Floyd in my truck said, you know, that, that sounds good. And he prayed to receive Christ and for. Three days, I'm dancing around and, you know, shaking it in my house because I'm excited about what the Lord has done. And I walk outside one evening to take some things to the trash. And I see Floyd 
walking out of his house with a girl who doesn't speak a lick of English and looks to barely be about 18. And I said, Floyd, what are you doing? And he was like, ha ha, don't hate the play, I hate the game, son. And I'm like, Floyd, the game has changed for you now. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You've given your life to the Lord Jesus. And he said, I met her on a dating website. And I said, well, what website? He said, Craigslist. I said, Floyd, that's not a dating website. And it wasn't soon after that, Floyd stopped coming to community group. He said, come to church. And finally, he and I had a conversation where he said, you know, man, I, I don't know what happened in there. I don't know what I don't know what I did that day in that truck. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not. That's not me. You kind of get to this point where you go, what do we have to do to reach people? And I've, over the past three years, I've really struggled with discouragement. Um, constantly feeling like the proverbial boat of success has set sail and I'm left on the dock. Our church is left on the dock. But you know what? Experience really is the greatest teacher. Um, we, don't, we don't really learn to follow Jesus uh, by sitting at a table with our, our Bibles open only. That's so important. That's so critical. But if, if that's all that we do, uh, we're, we're going to be anemic in our walk with the Lord. That, that really what God does, and we see this in the book of James, that, that uh, take joy when you experience trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And so through experiences, as we, as we cling to this word and as we, as we attempt uh, to believe, and oftentimes it's, Lord, I do believe, help me in my unbelief, that God brings in our life experiences to help us understand and truly learn and truly know what it means to have faith. And when Paul says he's given us faith, God used failure and disappointment and discouragement to show us what it means to trust in the Lord. We were trying a lot of good things. I mean, we were doing good works. It's not like, not like we were, you know, uh, just, you know, being lazy and not doing anything. We were, we were working, working hard. And yet what we began to see, what God began to show us, is that He has sovereignly placed us around co-workers, around neighbors, around organizations that we might be involved in, with people that we can connect with and develop genuine, true relationships with, and then in that context, share the hope of the gospel. I think the, the, the things like the movie nights, which y'all are going to do more. We're gonna, you're going to come down. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do it. But the, those are kind of like the, the approach. If that's just your approach, it's like boxing, the knockout, uppercut. And I think what God began to show us, and is maybe it's just the culture of New Orleans, or maybe it's everywhere you go, I don't know, is that what our work was going to be was the steady, tedious, laborious work of establishing relationships with people 
that lasted for months, if not years. Believing God, trusting God, sharing the gospel with them. We, we uh, came up with what we call the one-to-one strategy. And after years of just felt like beating our head against the wall, this is what we felt like, God, this is so simple. This is not novel. This is not new. This is just practical and simple. It's the one-to-one strategy. Who's one person for one year that you, one-to-one, that you can befriend, pray for, share the gospel with, and invite to church. Don't worry about reaching the masses. Don't worry about reaching everyone in the park when we do movie nights. We'll do those things, and that will be good, and we'll connect with people, and it gets our, our, our presence out there a little bit more. But essentially, what are we, how are we going to reach the people? It's by committing our lives to someone else to befriend, pray for, share the gospel with, and invite the church. And I'll tell you this, that requires more faith than believing that in the knockout blow you can win people to the Lord. When you're laboring with someone, praying for them, hanging out with them, spending time with them, sharing the hope of the gospel with them, persuading them to believe in Jesus, and time after time and day after day, they refuse and they reject and they count it as foolishness. It requires faith to say, God, I see you moving here. God, I know that you've placed this person in my life. The fact that they're even my friend is because of you. Not because of me. God, you, you're working here. I, I, God, give me faith to trust you and to be faithful to do what you've called us to do. I started to see some of this happen. One day I was walking down the steps to our house and there's this guy across the street walking. He said, what's up, Rev? And I said, what's up, player? And I walked across the street and we started talking and, he said, and I said, man, what... what Who's Jesus to you? He said, man, he's the G-O-D and I'm his D-O-double-G. And I said, right on. But what struck me there is I never even, I didn't know this guy. I had no idea who he was. And yet he says, what's up, Rev? That he knows who I am. And I began to trust more in relationships and building those relationships and establishing those relationships to focus less on the masses and focus more on God. Who are you moving and whose lives are you moving that we can, we can connect in and bring the message of the gospel? God, who are you placing around us that we might share the gospel with. And God, give me faith not to doubt, but faith to believe that you're in this and that you're doing it. All of the people, with the exception of one, and I'll, I'll talk about her later, but all of the people that we have seen come to faith in Christ, it's been about a year or a year and a half long process of us loving them and investing. And now in the past Three or four months, we've seen four people give their life to Jesus. And it's a result of this investment in their lives. There's been a lot of people who have made decisions. You know, there's always like, you know, some lady with meth mouth who who comes up, you know, and she's like, I need Jesus and I need money. And I'm like, you need a toothbrush, you know. And it's like, we're not, the decisions are... 
are, are always out there. What we long to see God do is transform people's lives. Maybe we want to see disciples of Jesus, not just people who make decisions, but those who say, you know, I have no idea what to do, but I want to follow this one named Jesus. I want to follow him and serve him and love him and give my life to him. Can I walk with you in that? Can I come alongside this church and and be a part of that? That's what we want to see. And then those people building relationships with their non-believing friends and share the gospel with them. And that's how you grow your church. That's how the gospel moves and advances. So we long to see that. Who has the Lord put in your life? Who's the Lord put in your life calling you to say, will you labor in faith to reach this person with the good news of Jesus? Who's He put around you in your workplace and in your neighborhood and wherever it may be that you can say, God, I see you moving. Help me to believe and help me to be faithful that I might proclaim. Not get discouraged. Not get dragged down into what seems to be ineffectiveness, but to trust you. Connected to faith, and I have a hard time distinguishing sometimes between faith and love. This is the second one Paul says that remains, that he's given us is hope. And if I had to define hope, I would define it as this. It's, it's, it's expecting God to move mightily on our behalf. It's expecting God to move mightily on our behalf. When I was a teenager, my brother was all about reading uh, like, like Christian books and stuff. I'm like, man, you're 18. What a dork. Like... You should be playing video games and, you know, watching TV and eating food like me. And uh, he had this book by a guy named Jim Simbala who took over a church in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And the church grew to become this incredible witness for Jesus in the context of, of, of New York. And, and uh, I wasn't even a believer at the time. I wasn't even born again. I remember picking up the book and there was something in my soul when I read this that said, yes. And it says this. This is what Jim Cimbala says. He says, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. He despaired at the thought that this life might just teeter on and slip by and he never sees God move mightily on his behalf. And when I read that as a teenager, there was something in me that said, yes, and it has stuck with me all of my life. And that is what Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. When he says, our Father in heaven, make your name hallowed. Make your name revered. Make your name hallowed. Honored, make your name great. That is, that is the essential heart and prayer of a follower of Jesus. It should be at least. God, would you move in such a way? God, would you be so mighty on our behalf and move mightily on our behalf and be so powerful in the things that you do in people's lives that the only way to explain it, the only thing that the community around us, the city of New Orleans and the nations of the world could say is... The Lord is great. Long to see that happen. God, make your name hallowed. 
That's hope. That's hope for the believer. And we've experienced this. Um, there's a guy named Chip that I developed a relationship with. And, and Chip was Chip's a doctor. And Chip grew up in a Catholic home, never really had read the Bible at all. And um, Chip and I started reading beginning in Genesis. And we got to Leviticus. Chip basically said this. This is, this is all about Jesus. I mean, I see it from the sacrifices to the priesthood. It's all about Him. And it's all about our need for Him. And it was like, that's right, Chip. Leviticus is saving your soul and leading you to the Lamb. And he prayed to receive Jesus and put his faith in Him. And then we've seen God move in other mighty ways. It just past Halloween. We went to a Halloween party. That's right. We went to a Halloween party. And I dressed up like a convict. And I used my daughter's butterfly tattoos to tattoo myself up. And we went to this party. And there was a lady there who had been to our church maybe like twice in, in three years or two and a half years and, and had no real interest, was not even on the radar. She's the one exception to this rule of, 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 of uh, investing ourselves in someone for about a year, year and a half. And she's at this party and she says, something's happening in my life. And I, I just want to talk to you about it. Can I come over and talk to you? And I said, yeah, come on. And, and about two weeks later, she came over and and ate dinner with Susie and I, and and she said, "I don't, I don't know how to explain it." She said, "I've I've been essentially a lesbian for the past fifteen years. She's fifty-one years old. Past fifteen years of her life, she'd been in a lesbian been in lesbian relationships with different people, and uh, she said, God is doing something in my heart.'" I'm aware of His presence. I'm aware of His love. I'm aware of my need for Him. And I don't even know who He is. And I don't even know what the details are. Can you share with me what the details are of that? Can you share with me who He is? I said, absolutely. And I began to walk with her through what the gospel is. This great God who is the one who establishes all of reality and understanding for us, that He loves her, that there is life for her, there is transformation for her, there is newness, the Spirit of God will come into her life, make her new, give her new affections, new desires for Jesus and for His glory, and to love Him and to serve Him. And I said, is this, is this what you want? Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to give your life to Him? She said, absolutely I do. And prayed right there to give her life to the Lord Jesus. We have seen God move mightily and do things that we cannot do. But I'm going to tell you, we long to see more. The thing about New Orleans is, and it's different, and one of the ways that it's different from Shreveport. Shreveport is, all the neighborhoods are marked and, and, and pretty much uniform based on racial, socioeconomic status. And in, in between those neighborhoods, you've got major uh, geographical barriers like, you know, uh, a shopping center or a ditch or an interstate or something like that that separates and marks these off. And for the most part, most, most, most neighborhoods are uniform here. But when you get to New Orleans, it's like somebody just threw 15 different buckets of paint on the wall. 
And that's what neighborhoods look like. Our neighborhood uh, is about fifty is about forty five percent white, about forty five percent black, and, and about ten percent Asian and Hispanic. And the Asian and Hispanic population is growing and growing every day. And I'm going to tell you, we long to see our church reflect the makeup of our community. And I'll go as far as to say this. Local churches should and must reflect the makeup of their cities. The reason why I say this is this. What does it speak to? What what type of power does it speak to when our churches are all made up of people who look like us, who think like us, who have come from the same side of the tracks as us, who are in the same life stage as us. You go on down the list. What does it speak to? Does it speak to the power of the gospel to break down the temporal barriers of this world and to break down the flesh and to unite a people around the good news of Jesus and His grace? Does it speak to the power of that? Or does it speak to the power of our worldly commonalities? And I think if our church can continue to grow, but grow in reflecting our community, it will speak to the power of God to raise up a community of faith that is otherworldly. That is not of this world. That is not like this world. It will speak to the people in our city. There's something going on there. God is moving there. There's something powerful there that's happening there. It's not happening any other place that we see. And so I, I long to see God move. I would ask you to pray for that for us. Would you pray that God would build our church and unify people from all different types of cultures and backgrounds around the good news of Jesus Christ and His reconciling grace? Would you pray for that on our behalf? We long to see God move. If He doesn't, we have no hope. No hope. The third one, Paul says, is the greatest, is love. Um, the, the thing about if, if we pray, God, would you move mightily on our behalf? I'm, I'm looking at these four boys like, yeah, y'all are getting me. If, if we pray, God, would you move mightily on our behalf? If we pray that, that will mean, I, I think inevitably, that he makes us uncomfortable. And I, I think what that means is it'll, it, it'll bring us people that need Jesus so badly that it tests our willingness to love. It tests our willingness to love, sacrificially lay down our life. Because let's be honest, I, I want people to get saved. I want to see lost people get saved. But I want people to get saved who pretty much have their lives together and their checkbooks together. You know? Like, yeah, come. Oh, oh, yeah, you put your faith in Jesus. Okay, yeah, you can keep living the way you're living because it's pretty much pretty okay. So, yeah, come on and give and, and we'll grow our church and it'll be great. And I'll only have to see you twice a week and, and it'll be awesome. And we'll grow this thing. But when we pray, God, would you move mightily on our behalf? He brings us people that will demonstrate that He is moving mightily in their lives. 
And that will always test our willingness to love and our willingness to serve. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39. The, the Pharisees, these are the religious elite. They know their Bibles. They pray every day. They um, have memorized large chunks of scripture and they probably sit around and figure out who has memorized the most and who's the best and all this stuff. And they come to Jesus and they think they've got him and they think they've maybe trapped him. And they say in verse 36, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, that's 35 actually. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, what Jesus says is this. What is it all about? i tell you what it's all about. That you would have an all-consuming Love and passion and adoration for your God. And that then you would love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving our neighbor. That's what we're called to be as believers. And when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and you start in verse 1. This is the chapter that we're in. And Tracy, you probably preached from this last night, did you not? The love chapter. Okay, well, most pastors do preach from this. That's right, because you used our wedding and we weren't going to do that. So we, we uh, verse 1 of chapter 13 says this. And listen to this. And friends, these verses should cut to our hearts. They should cut to our hearts. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, if you are the most spiritual person in the world, or you know the most stuff about the Bible in the world, or you can preach with the best of them, or even if you do good works all day long, but you don't do it with a heart that passionately loves God, passionately adores Him, passionately serves Him. And then with love for your neighbor, you, you seek to preach the gospel to them and serve them and build them up. It doesn't matter if all of that stuff is present. If there is not love in your heart, friends, we are nothing. We are nothing. I think Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, so helpful here. Um, Paul says... Uh, In verse 6 of chapter 5, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. All All that religious stuff that we value, we think about, that doesn't count for anything, friends. Here's what counts. 
but only faith working through love. That is such a helpful verse, such a helpful phrase for us. How do you know? How do you know if God's moving in your life? How do you know if you're walking with the Lord? How do you know if, you're, if your heart is, is right with Him? How do you know that you have saving faith? Paul says, faith works itself out through love. Here's how you know that you have saving faith, that you're walking with the Lord. Do you love God passionately? Do you want to serve Him? Do you want to honor Him? And do you love your neighbor? There's a part of us that says, I love God, but I can't stand poor people on the other side of the tracks. We've got a problem. If we say, I love God, but I can't stand my wife and I can't stand my children and I wish that my neighbor would stop doing what he does and I can't stand my boss and I hate my boss and I can't stand my church family and my community group leader, my pastor, whatever it may be, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. Saving faith works itself out into love both for God and for our neighbor. What about you, friends? Are you loving the Lord? And are you loving your neighbor? Do your eyes see the people around you hurting and lost and broken, wandering around like sheep in the dark at any moment, waiting to fall off the precipice of the cliff and to their doom? And do your hearts break? Is there love in your heart for the Lord and for your neighbor? There's an old, uh, there's an old theologian. Uh, how would you like to be introduced one day like that? There's this old dead theologian, and his name's Hans Er von Balthasar, and he said this, and I think this is very helpful. He said, "Only love is credible. How will we win the world to Christ?" We will win them to Christ that as we proclaim this message of hope and salvation, that we do it with great love and compassion and mercy. Love that bears all things, as Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13. Love that says, I will come alongside you and I will be your friend and I will be your advocate and I will stand with you even though I disagree with your life and I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to call you to repentance in that, but I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to love you. I'm going to open up my home to you. I'm going to open up my dining room table to you. And I'll be there for you when your sin has brought you to the lowest, darkest place. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be there with you. It makes me think about... Uh, and that, that's not hippie love. This is explicit gospel, Jesus sacrificing His life and leading us to do the same type of love. It's motivated by a thankfulness for what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. We love because He first loved us. It's someone who has said, God has shown me so much love and grace and forgiveness and undeserved mercy. I, how can I not be all out for His kingdom? How can I not be all out for loving people and preaching the hope of the gospel to them. Think about Luke chapter 7 when Jesus is 
hanging out with some Pharisees and this lady comes in. The scripture says a woman of the night or a woman of the street. It says she was a sinner. She comes to Jesus and she starts weeping all over his feet and anointing his feet with with perfume and and just adoring him, worshiping him, loving him. The Pharisees say, man, if Jesus, if Jesus was who he says he was, he'd know this woman was a harlot and he would he would cast her out of his presence. And Jesus tells the story about one who had a large debt and one who had a lesser debt and both debts were forgiven. Who do you think would love more? They said the one whose debt was larger. And Jesus says, this woman, though her sins are many, loves much because she has been forgiven much. And friends, if we are not driven by a love for God and a love for others, it's an issue of faith and believing the gospel and walking in it and living it. No one's taught this to us more than Karen. And uh, Karen uh, came to our church probably about a year and a half ago for the first time. And our church is about two blocks off of the streetcar. Uh, and it's streetcar. Don't say trolley. People in New Orleans will get mad at you. If you, say, if you say snow cone, people get mad at you. It's snowballs. Okay? So don't come down there and say snowballs and, and trolley. Say streetcar. Or don't say snow cones and trolley. Say streetcar, snow, snowballs. I'm confused. I'm confused myself. Here. And so she took the streetcar and she came, walked about two blocks to our church. And, and I remember her walking up, smiling. And Karen is from Lake Charles, but she has this, this accent like she's from Minnesota. And so Karen walked in. She's this big personality, wears her heart on her sleeve is the the center of attention when she comes into the room. And I remember Karen sat next to my wife, Susie, and little did we know they would become best friends. And that Sunday, I preached on Joshua 7, which is the sin of Achan, where Achan hid the things from the Lord under his tent. And, uh, and, I, and I preached that though we may think that our sin is hidden because we hide it from people around us. God sees. God sees. And so our only hope is to, is to uh, call upon the one who sees that he might give us mercy and that he might forgive us, that he might give us grace. And during the invitation time, Karen came down and she said to me, she said, uh, I'm seeing a married man. And I don't know if I'm a believer in Jesus. And I know this, after service, I'm going to go see him and I have no intention of stopping it and I don't know what to do. And I said, no, Karen, you're coming over to our house tonight and you're going to eat peanut butter and jelly and chicken nuggets because <laughs> that's what we eat and mac and cheese. And Karen came over to our house and she shared her story with us that Karen for years had been addicted to heroin and pills and alcohol, but had been through rehab and, 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 and told us that she was clean. But now she's in this relationship with this guy who's married and she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't want to leave him. She doesn't want to let it go. But she's worried that she doesn't know Jesus and that she's going to go to hell. And so we were calling Karen, pleading with Karen, repent. 
Put your faith in Jesus and repent. He's good. He will receive you. He'll give you grace and give you strength to walk with him and to fight sin and to walk in freedom. And Karen would come around for about two weeks at a time and then be gone for about ten weeks at a time and then come back for three weeks at a time and then be gone for for 15 weeks at a time. And this went on. And during that time, Susie and Karen began to develop this friendship where they would talk to each other, they would call each other. Um, we, we soon realized that Karen was not as clean as she let on, that we began getting phone calls in the middle of the night of someone weeping in her drunkenness, crying out for someone, Susie leaving our home to go sit with her and to encourage her and the Lord. We began to see over time, as Susie started doing a Bible study with her, as Susie started uh, uh, hanging out with her, going to get coffee, going to meals, they started studying the Gospel of John together. And over time, the Lord of grace began to change her heart. And that Karen put her faith in Jesus, repented of her sin, and stood before us. And you saw one of the pictures, stood before us as a congregation. And what we do when someone becomes a member, I say, you got five minutes, share your testimony. It ends up being 45 minutes. Uh, and Karen shared her story. And the, one of the things she said was this, if it was not for Susie, who loved me unconditionally who didn't condemn me, but walked with me and bared with me and continued to share with me the hope and be my friend, I would not be here today. It was the love of Susie that enabled Karen to know she can repent of this relationship. That that's not the type of love That's real and true. It's the love of Jesus expressed through the local church that is real and true. That's what you need, Karen. That's where you're going to find true love. Is in the arms of Jesus and in the body of His fellowship. Think about it, friends. What is it? What is it that drew you to the Lord Jesus? Is it not His kindness and His mercy His compassion and His love that drew you to Him, that drew you to repentance. You may not be an evangelist, first-class evangelist. You may not be someone that you you start talking about Jesus and all you can say is, He's good and and, uh, that's really as far as you get. But I promise you this, I promise you this, if you will put your faith in the Lord, if you trust Him, if you trust Him, and if you with hope expect Him to work mightily, and if you commit yourself to someone to love them faithfully, to be there for them, to be their friend, to be someone who models the grace and the humility and the love of Jesus, I promise you this, That through your stumbling words and what you don't feel gifted in, that the Holy Spirit of God is going to use that to draw people to Himself. There is no doubt in my mind. Every single one of us in this room and every single person in Nola Baptist Church could lead someone to the Lord this year if we had faith, hope, and love. I want to encourage you. I want to thank you for partnering with us for walking with us, for committing yourself to us. And I want to encourage you, 
receive the gifts of faith, hope, and love. Be someone who makes disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue to pray for us that we would do the same. And I'll, I'll say this. If you're here tonight and you'd say, or if you're here this morning and you would say, I do not know the Lord Jesus. Friends, he says this, come to me, all of you who are weary by sin and weary through the pain and the sorrow and the emptiness that it's brought in your life. Come to me and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy. and My burden is light. He will receive you. He will forgive you. And by His grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, He will make you new. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. God, we thank You for the Gospel. God, we thank You that for eternity, those who know You will worship You, testifying to Your great love and Your faithfulness. We will bear witness to the Lamb who by His blood purchased men from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. We will stand next to brothers and sisters around the world who have cried out to You and entrusted their lives to You. And Lord, it's so easy when we're in a, a good, healthy church with great preaching and great worship and great community groups to just live life and to take advantage of the blessings and to, to soak it all in and not to realize, God, that where are people out there in desperate need of the hope of the gospel who desperately need somebody to trust you, to have hope that you will move mightily and to love them unconditionally. And I pray now, Lord, that you would do that work both in Nola Baptist Church and in Norris Ferry Community Church. That we would be, though on opposite ends of the state, that we would be united in that one passion, in that one vision, in that one purpose. And that is to make disciples of Jesus. Every single one of us in this room could do that. I pray, Lord, for you to move. We thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for the privilege to know you. Thank you for the privilege it is to serve you. God, give us joy in you and not in the things of this world. For your glory and for your praise, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.